Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Your glory, Lord, is what our hearts long for. That's uh, a lyric for those of you in the sanctuary or listening online. That's a lyric we just sang here in the Baker Center. Your glory, Lord, is what our hearts long for. I'm going to tell you right now, there is not a more counter-cultural statement that exists on this earth. There isn't. Because... We're living for the glory of a lot of other things, but not for the glory of the Lord culturally, not in our day. And, uh, and that we are here today to lift up the name of Jesus, to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about that today. Our theme this year is transformation. You know, we don't come to the place of saying, your glory, Lord, is what our hearts long for. We don't get there without transformation, without God doing a work in our hearts, changing us, transforming us, rebirthing us, filling us with His Spirit. Then, as we're being transformed and as God is at work in our lives, we truly can say, your glory, Lord, is what our hearts long for. You know, this graphic that we've been using for transformation um, has this triangle in it. I want to ask, are there any science geeks in the room? Any science geeks? Anyone? Nobody? Nobody's a science geek? We're in trouble as a country, I'm telling you. We got two, two science geeks. Yeah, well, okay. If you're a science geek, or maybe just draw on your days of, of, of science class in high school, whatever, middle school, elementary school, uh, what is the fire triangle? Do you know what the fire triangle is? What are the three essential elements? I see a couple of uh, 10-year-olds nodding their heads. What are the essential elements of a fire? Okay, fuel. I hear that. Yes. Oxygen and ignition, right? Spark, heat. Fuel, oxygen, and heat. You have to have those three elements if you're going to have a fire. It's the fire triangle. And I think about that in light of this triangle and the T of transformation. I want to call this the transformation triangle, all right? The transformation triangle requires three essential elements. Because in a fire, if you pull one of those elements out, you lose your fire. If you cover a fire with a blanket, it loses its oxygen, no more fire. And, uh, and the same is true biblically for our lives as, as being transformed in the image of Christ. Three key essential elements, the transformation triangle. To really break it down into three simple words, it's up, it's in, and it's out. It's up, in, and out. It's worship, it's relationship or fellowship or koinonia, and it's service, it's ministry. It's living out the call in our lives. It's up, it's in, and it's out. The, the spark, if you will, in the transformation triangle that creates spiritual life is the gospel. I think about what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 116. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power, the spark, the dunamis, the heat 
of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel is the spark that produces spiritual life. What is the gospel? It's four key questions. Who is God? Who is man? Who is Jesus? And how do I respond? That's the gospel. It's understanding God as a holy and awesome and just and mighty God, an awesome God, as the kids sang earlier today. Awesome is your name, O God. And He is a God who will hold us accountable to how we live our lives. He is a God of justice and, yes, even wrath for those who are disobedient, that are not transformed. Who am I? Well, in my physical, natural state, I'm going to worship anything other than God. I'm going to worship created things. I'm going to worship myself. I'm going to worship nature. I'm going to worship stuff. I'm going to worship the enemy. I'm going to worship other things. I need transformed. Who is Jesus? He came from God the Father to save each and every one of us. He gave his life. How must I respond? For it is by faith from first to last that we understand the gospel. That is spiritual life. I think about relational connection, much like the fire triangle, right? If you pull a, a, a log off of that campfire, it's going to start to die down. I think of relationships kind of like the fuel of our transformed fire, of this transformation triangle. We need each other. I want to give you another quick plug, and keep doing it, for life transformation groups. They're right out here on the wall, these brochures in our information wall, or in the sanctuary out in the rots, or the, or the narthex foyers. Grab one of these, would you, and pray about this. This last week, I personally sat down with someone over coffee, and, and they agreed to, to do this with me, to journey on a weekly basis in these life transformation groups that involve accountability, Bible study, and intentional prayer, all right? Those are the three key elements. Very self-described in this brochure. Grab one, pray about it, because we need each other. Relational connection. Thirdly, missional engagement. The question I want to ask today is kind of looking at this in the big picture, the macro lens, and it's the question, to what end? Or to put it another way, for what ultimate purpose? Or in a word, why? Why does God want us to be missionally engaged? Why? What's the end game? What's the result? What's the goal? About a hundred years ago, I learned in my church history classes in seminary, there was something, a movement, lasted 40, 50 years, late 1800s, early 1900s, it was called the social gospel, the social gospel. And in the social gospel, I looked it up and read a few articles just brushing up for today, but I thought about this in light of, you know, missional engagement, the social gospel, uh, it was the belief, it was a movement driven by the belief that the second coming of Jesus could not happen until all humanity rid itself of all social evils by human effort. No wonder it died. Okay. At the center of the movement were the beliefs that, one, man is not so bad and God is not so mad. Man, man is not so bad, we're better than we think, and God is not so mad. He's a loving, generous, good, whole, you know, God. Well, that's not what I just described as the key to understanding the gospel, is it? The key to understanding the gospel is God's holy and awesome and righteous, and I'm fallen and I need a Savior. 
The second key belief of the social gospel was that cultural restoration is the gospel. So it reduces the gospel to changing our world. The social gospel teaches that God's kingdom is built by us. Built by us. So the to what end in the social gospel, it's kind of this pat on the back, this great job, way to go. You can do it. We can do it. Come on, let's go change the world, right? That's the social gospel to which, as I read this article, it's not built by us. Every part of the kingdom, from its establishment to its construction and eventual consummation, is carried out by Christ. He uses us as His tools in this endeavor. It's a subtle distinction. We aren't building the kingdom of God. God is building it and using us. So, I would like us to use this lens Again, I talked about this all last year in terms of the upper story and the lower story. It's a great way to think about the macro, the big picture. And the upper story is what God is doing throughout time. We talked about this. It's, it's, it's God's move throughout time. Paradise. You think about Genesis 1.1. You know that verse, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, prior to this world existing, and it was paradise. And what was happening there, turn with me to John chapter 1, would you? What was happening there, we're told in John uh, chapter 1, it, just, it starts exactly the same as Genesis 1-1 starts, and it says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Obviously, that if you've been in the church, you'll understand that that is describing Jesus. The Word is the Jesus is the Word of God, the the Logos of God. He, so the Word is a is a Him. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when we think about paradise, we think about in the beginning God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was life. The Word was light. So Jesus, the Son, the Spirit, God the Father, coexisted in paradise, in eternity. But look at verse 14. The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We call that Christmas. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Ah, the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus Christ is, I think, what ultimately defined paradise. Pre-creation. The glory of, of the Father, Son, and Spirit. But as we see in John 1.14, the glory that was Jesus's before He came to this earth, we now have beheld that glory. So paradise really is the glory of Christ, the glory of God. Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Because I want to go now to the other end of this timeline. And this is a timeline. The, the upper story as I'm showing it here is is a timeline. Now, everything on either side of it is timeless. But from creation until consummation, we are on the clock. Tick, 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 tick. We're on a timeline. 
But we come to the end of time, to the end of the timeline, and we see there will be a wedding ceremony. It's described in Revelation 19 when Jesus, the groom, will receive his bride, the church. And there will be ultimately one great ceremony in heaven where together the bride and the groom will be united and together forever. No kidding. After this, chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 1. I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. He's condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. We live in a broken world, y'all. He has avenged on her the blood of His servants. And again, they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear Him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give honor to Him for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Really, that's the first picture biblically of a wedding dress. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I felt it, at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, no, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, with your brothers and sisters, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, underline that church, worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. So what we see in paradise restored again is the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory, hallelujah, hallelujah, worthy is the lamb. But yet we see something else, don't we? We see the worship of Jesus Christ. So in paradise, It was the glory of Jesus. And in paradise restored, it is ultimately consummated in the worship of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to scooch the timeline in a little bit. Turn with me back to Genesis 11. I want to show you, kind of doing bookend pictures here, but I want you to see the big picture of missional engagement and where we fit. Look at Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And I'll show you in a minute how this factors in again to to Revelation and to Paradise Restored. Now, the whole world had one language. Again, we're way back in Genesis. Common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. They settled there. They said to each other, hey, let's make some bricks. Let's bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone, tar for mortar. Then they said, hey, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heaven. Why? So that we may make a name for ourselves. I think about that in light of the social gospel, right? The pat on the back, the way to go, great job. Look at what we did. 
Otherwise, we'll be scattered. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. God said, if, if one people speaking the same language have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them, or so they will think. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they'll not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth. Boom, scattered. So from Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, we have this effect of language groups. This is where we have the multiple language. And that language division is what drove them apart from each other. That's why it's called Babel. Because the Lord confused the languages of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I will say here, what they intended for evil, God used for good. Because we see something happening over here in Revelation chapter 5. All right, turn with me to Revelation again. Revelation 5. Revelation 5. This is the, the other side of what happened in Genesis 11. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's God the Father, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? No one in heaven on earth, under the earth, could even look at it. I wept because no one could read what was in it. Then one of the elders said, Oh, stop crying. See the Lion of Judah. We just sang that, right? At least in this service. The Root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns, seven eyes, are the seven spirits of God. Seven, by the way, is the number of completion and perfection in Scripture. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him, sitting on the throne. And when he had taken it, the living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain with your blood. You purchased for God. Here you go. Ready? Persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. They are regathered to worship Jesus Christ. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, thousands and thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. How many zeros is that? One, two, three, four, four, eight, eight, eight zeros. How many Okay, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and on the sea, all that's in them to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise, honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Wow, Amen. And here's the awesome part of this. Each and every one of us are part of God's upper story of gathering worshipers before His throne for all eternity. Amen. Write that down. Let's get this. This is the end game of worship. Each and every one of us are part of God's 
upper story of gathering worshipers before his throne for all eternity. For all eternity. This is why missions exists. The end game of missional engagement is worship. It's glory that goes to God. It's the glory of Jesus Christ. I love this phrase by John Piper. Some of you might have heard it. Missions exists because worship doesn't. It's good, isn't it? Soaking in it a little bit. Missions exists because worship doesn't. The end game of missions is worship. Another phrase, another quote that I love. This is, I don't know who came up with this first, but I've always loved this. The church of God doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. We are the mission of God, living out His greater glory in the world. That is God's ultimate purpose. So what is our part in all of this? What is our part in all of this? What is God calling us to do? Well, it's something that we talk about every week to begin with. It's living the call every day wherever you live, work, and play. It's going out of this building. We talked about this last week in terms of taking the chocolate, a metaphor for the message of Christ, the mercy, the grace, the gospel of Jesus into the dark corners of our community. I got to say, I loved a few emails, messages that I got this week of some folks that said, you know what, I'm doing it. That really, I appreciated that metaphor, but it's messy. (laughs) It's hard because we live in a broken world. And you know what, church? When we take the gospel into the dark corners, yeah, it's going to get messy. It's going to get hard. It's going to get confusing. We must continue to shine the light of Jesus in our community, throughout our lives, engaging and blessing with the gospel. But we must always keep in mind that this is a global effort, okay? This is a global effort that each and every one of us, in addition to shining the light of Christ right here in Chambersburg, into our little corner of the world and wherever you live, work, and play, we live missional lives, but we are also a part of what God is doing in the world. Because when we read Revelation 5, it is ultimately about every tongue, tribe, language, and people. So, what am I going to call you to do today? You ready on this one? I'm going to challenge you to get soggy. Now, I don't mean this, okay? I'm not... (laughs) I googled soggy dog, and this is what I got. (laughs) Get soggy. What do I mean by that? S. O-G-Y, send others or go yourself. Every one of us. Every one of us here today need to be a part of what God is doing to gather worshipers before His throne for all eternity. And we're engaged in the task of sending others. You know what? Every missionary effort has senders and it has goers. And you're either a sender or a goer in terms of of the world mission effort. Yes, we're all goers in our community where we live, work, and play. But in terms of reaching the lost in the dark corners of this world, send others or go yourself. Send others or go yourself because the ultimate goal is worship. 
Look with me at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to conclude with this. After this, verse 9. After this I looked, John wrote, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. And let me just share this. This is from Genesis to Revelation too. You know who's in this crowd? Abraham's in this crowd. David's in this crowd. Esther's in this crowd. Ruth is in this crowd. You're in this crowd. I'm in this crowd. This is, this, and this is all around the globe. Every nation. Do you know where God is moving in strong ways in this world right now? Asia, Africa, nations, tribes, languages, peoples standing before the throne from all time, a number that they couldn't even count wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who sits on the throne. Lord Jesus, as we bow before you right now, we declare you alone are worthy. You alone are holy. You alone are our glorious Lord Jesus. We live, God, for your greater glory as it was in the beginning when your glory reigned. Lord Jesus, we live in a broken world right now where the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy to divert our attention to anything other than you. But Lord, we live for your glory. And to think, Lord God, that we are a part of your plan to bring all people from every tribe, tongue, language, and people together before the throne. God, we're going to do our part right now. We're going to do our part. Just like the angels were singing a new song before the throne, we're going to sing the Revelation song. We're going to sing the song, Worthy, worthy are you, Jesus. We're going to sing it with our whole hearts because this is why we've been created, to sing praise and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.